I sometimes read uh, public domain books here on Leaves of Glen. And they were written a long time ago, uh, so they're usually uh, racist or sexist or bigoted. Uh, but in there somewhere and all that is a, a story, and that's why those stories are famous. Other times, I read uh, works from independent authors, and they're delightfully not racist, but they might have adult language or adult situations. So that's your warning, uh, but I'm sure you uh, are grown up enough to handle it. Don't write to me complaining. Well, maybe if I keep texting my ex-wife as I have been for the last hour, uh, maybe she'll take me back and then I can be married again. And have the, oh, hi. Oh, well, welcome to the Leaves of Glen Mansion. It's a bit I've been doing for about a month or so, and uh, I think it's working out really great. Here we are in the drawing room where I am going to talk to you about uh, the hottest public domain books and short stories. This week, we'll continue to read from David Copperfield by Charles Dickens. It's his eighth novel. Uh, it was first published in uh, 1850 and uh, is widely considered his most popular work. Uh, Charles Dickens, nah, he's born the 7th of February, 1812, and he died June of 1870. Well, this is a watershed moment for fun facts because the website that I've been using to pull out fun facts about uh, Charles Dickens is uh, done. I've reached the end of it. And I either have to go find another one or find another segment to run with. So, our last and final one is Charles Dickens did not get a formal education. He had to drop out of school to support his family. Uh, this did not prevent him from becoming the greatest novelist ever to live. His second job was a legal clerk where he mastered the art of writing and all this was self-taught. In 1863, he published his first novel, The Pickwick Papers, which marked the beginning of his writing career. He, he did, as we learned earlier, he also tried to be a magician with a fairly racist name, but that didn't pan out. Uh, he went on to be an international sensation who humorously voiced his opinions about society. Uh, he went on to edit a weekly journal for 20 years, uh, wrote 15 novels, five novellas, hundreds, hundreds of short stories, uh, and non-fiction articles. He became a staunch advocate for children's rights uh, and education and other social reforms. Well, let's uh, recap the previous chapter, chapter 21. Uh, David is still uh, worked into a lather over trying to seem like an adult, which I don't think he understands what being an adult is like. I am one. Yeah. Puffy and flabby and gross, but he wants to be one, and he's trying to get everyone to see him that way. Uh, he, it takes a uh, Steerforth's butler, Litmer, to just smack him down to be like, ah, what are you, 19? And make him feel bad about himself. And we also learn how respectable Litmer is, and it's freaking frustrating because it just goes on and on. Uh, David decides to split up a Steerforth uh, so they can catch up with Peggy. Uh, but he stops in at the tailor shop and sees Emily working there. And Emily, beautiful Emily, is uh, just so gorgeous over there sewing a dress that he gets all shy and avoids her for whatever reason. Uh, so then he hangs out with Peggy. Steerforth shows up later and charms Peggy and Mr. Barkus, uh, who's laying in bed, deathly ill. Uh, then they uh, go to the boathouse where uh, they interrupt the news that Ham 
and Emily are engaged. And then uh, Steerforth charms everyone there. And then as they're walking away from the boathouse, and Steerforth's going to get into some other kind of boat or something to go home, he uh, kind of makes it clear, I don't see any of these people as people. Oh, I can charm them. I can make them laugh and make them like me. But I don't think of them as people. They're dumb. So uh, that's pretty much it for that. Uh, oh, he also makes a comment about how Ham is uh, just a knucklehead. And Emily is a, a good-looking little lady, but still beneath Steerforth. Uh, that makes David for a moment pause and think, oh, that's a jerk thing to say. But he falls back into love with Steerforth all over again because he's just treating David like he treats everyone else. So hopefully that changes over time. Uh, ah, cripes. We still have time left. Uh, let's see, uh, what have I been doing? I got my second uh, COVID vaccine shot, so uh, that's good. Uh, I wound up getting a uh, fever the next day, which I kind of liked. I haven't taken a, a fever nap in a long time, and boy, are they fun. Uh, but the next day, my armpit was all swollen up and fat. It was weird and hairy, and it was disturbing to touch and to feel it under my arm. So as I was walking around, one arm kind of hanging out like a weirdo. Well, anyways, uh, I'm all back to normal now. Let's uh, dive into the story. Chapter 22. Some old scenes uh, and some new people. Steerforth and I stayed for more than a fortnight in that part of the country. Oh, we were very much together, I need not say, but occasionally we were asunder for some hours at a time. Ah, he was a good sailor. Wow, the page took a long time turning there. Eh, a Kindle. You know, technology, can't count on it. And I was but an indifferent one. And when we went out boating with Miss Peggotty, which was a favorite amusement of his, I generally remained ashore. My occupation of Peggotty's spare room put a constant constraint upon me, from which he was free. For knowing how assiduously she attained on Miss Barkis all day, I did not like to remain out late at night, whereas Steerforth, lying at the inn, had nothing to consult but his own humor. Thus it came about uh, that I heard of his making little treats uh, for the fisherman at Miss Peggotty's house of a call, uh, the Willing Mind, after I was in bed, and of his being afloat, wrapped in fisherman's clothes, whole moonlit nights, and coming back when the morning tide was at flood. So he's just kind of the jerk that won't leave. Like, you invite him over, and he's just there, making everyone stay up late all night. By this time, however, I knew that his restless nature and bold spirits delighted to find a vent in rough toil and hard weather, as in any other means of excitement that presented itself freshly to him. So no, uh, none of his proceedings surprised me. Uh, another cause of our being apart uh, sometimes was that I had naturally an interest in going over to Blunderstone. Aw, oh, poor kid. Back to his old childhood home that's been abandoned and revisiting the old familiar scenes of my childhood. While Steerforth, after being there once, had naturally no great interest in going there again, because he's a jerk, doesn't have feelings. Hence, on three or four days that I can once recall, we went on our, our several ways after an early breakfast and met again at late dinner. I had no idea how he employed his time at the interval beyond a, a general knowledge that he was very popular in the place 
and had uh, 20 means of actively diverting himself where another man might have only found one. For my own part, my occupation in solitary pilgrimages was to recall every yard of the old road as I went along it, and to haunt old spots, of which I never tired. I I haunted them, as my memory had often done, and, and lingered, among them, as my younger thoughts had lingered when I was far away. The, the grave beneath the tree where both my parents lay, oh, it's so sad, on which I had looked out when it was my father's only and such a curious feeling of compassion, and by which I had stood so desolate, when it has opened to receive my pretty mother and her baby, the, the grave which Peggy's own faithful care had ever since kept neat and, and made a garden of. I walked near by the hour, period, the longest paragraph on the face of the earth. It lay a little off the churchyard path in a quiet corner, not so far removed, but I could read the names upon the stone as I walked to and fro, startled by the sound of the church bell when it struck the hour, for it was like a departed voice to me. My reflections at these times were always associated with the figure I was to make in life. And the, and the distinguished things I was to do. Oh, my echoing footsteps went to no other tune, but were as constant to that as if I had come home to build my castles in the air at a living mother's side. There were great changes in my old home. Uh, the ragged nests, so long deserted by the rooks, were, were gone and the trees were lopped and topped out of their remembered shapes. The garden had run wild, and, and half the windows of the house were shut up. It was occupied, burp, but only by poor lunatic gentlemen and the people who always took care of him. Oh, he was always sitting at my little window, looking out into the churchyard. Who's this? What is he talking about? And I wondered whether his rambling thoughts ever went upon any of the fancies that used to occupy mine. On the rosy mornings, when I peeped out of that same little window in my nightclothes and saw the sheep who qui quietly feeding in the light of the rising sun. Our old neighbors, Mr. and Miss Grace. So there's a person living in his house looking out the window, and instead of being offended, like, hey, get out of my house. Uh, he's just like, oh, I wonder if he thinks the same thoughts I think. Is that what's happening right now? Our old neighbors, Mr. and Mrs. Graper, were gone to South America, and the rain had made its way through the roof of their empty house and, and stained the uh, outer walls. This is sad. Nobody's house can withstand like a year of neglect. Mr. Chillip was married again to a tall, raw-boned, high-nosed wife. What's a high nose? And they had a wheezing little baby. What's a wheezing little baby <laughs> with a heavy head that it couldn't hold up? Two weak, staring eyes with which it seemed to be always wondering why it had ever been born. This is horrible. <laughs> it was a, with a singular jumble of sadness and pleasure that I used to linger about my native place until the reddening winter sun admonished me that it was time to start my returning walk. But... When the place was left behind, and especially when Steerforth and I were happily seated over our dinner by a blazing fire, it was delicious uh, uh, to think of having been there. Delicious is the word he used. So it was, though in a softened degree, when I went to my neat room at night and turning over the leaves of the crocodile book, which was always there upon the little table, remembered with a grateful heart how I, how blessed 
I was in having such a friend as Steerforth. Such a friend as Peggotty. I mean, she did try to kiss him through a keyhole. That was weird. Such a, a substitute for which I had lost in my excellent and generous aunt. My nearest way to Yarmouth in coming back from these long walks was by ferry. It landed me on the flat between the town and the sea, which I could make straight across, and to save myself a considerable circuit uh, by the high road, Mr. Peggotty's house being on that waste place, and uh, not a hundred yards out of track, I always looked in as I went by. Steerforth was pretty sure to be there expecting me, and we went on together through the frosty air and gathering fog uh, toward the twinkling lights of the town. Uh, One dark evening, uh, when I was later than usual, for I had that day been making my parting visit to Blunderstone, as we were now about to return home, I found him alone in Mr. Peggotty's house, sitting thoughtfully before the fire. Now he is is so intent upon his own reflections uh, that he was quite unconscious of my approach. Uh, This, indeed, he might easily have been if it had been less absorbed, for footsteps fell noiselessly on the sandy ground outside. Uh, But even my entrance failed to rouse him. I, standing close to him, looking at him and still with heavy brow, he was lost in his meditations. He gave such a start when I put my hand upon his shoulder, that he made me start too. Uh, you come upon me, he said almost angrily, like a like a, a, a reproachful ghost. I, I was obliged to announce myself somehow. I played. Uh, have I called you down from the stars? No, he answered. No. Uh, up from anywhere then, uh, said I, taking my seat near him. I was looking at the pictures in the fire, he returned. Well, that's disturbing. "'But you are spoiling them for me,' said I, as as he stirred it quickly with a piece of burning wood, striking out of the train of red-hot sparks. He went careening up into the little chimney and roaring out in the air. "'You would not have seen them,' he returned. "'I detest this mongrel time. Neither day nor night. Uh, How late you are. Where have you been?' "'I've been.' "'Taking leave of my usual walk,' said I. "'And I have been sitting here,' said Steerforth, glancing around the room, "'thinking that all the people we have found so glad on the night of our coming down "'might, to judge from the present, wasted air of the place, "'be dispersed or uh, or dead, or come to I don't know what harm. "'David, I wish to God I had been a a judicious father these last twenty years. "'Ah, my dear Steerforth, what 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 is the matter?' "'I wish with all my soul I had been a, a better guided,' he exclaimed. "'I wish with all my soul I could have guided myself better.' Oh, "'There's a passionate dejection in his manner that quite amazed me. Uh, "'He was more unlike himself than I could have supposed possible. "'It would be better to be this poor Peggotty or this, or this loud of a nephew.' He said, getting up and leaning moodily against the chimney piece with his face toward the fire, than to be myself, twenty times richer and twenty times wiser, and, and, and be the torment to myself that I have been in this devil's bark of a boat within the last half hour. I was so uh, uh, confounded by the alteration in him, always finally seeing him as the jerk that he is, that at first I could only observe him in silence as he stood leaning his head upon his hand and looking gloomily down at the fire. At length, oh, I begged him, with all the earnestness I felt, to 
tell me what had occurred to cross him so unusually, and, and to let me sympathize with him, if I could not hope to advise him. Before I had well concluded, he began to laugh, uh, fretfully at first, uh, but soon with returning gaiety. Yeah, tut, it's nothing, Daisy. I oh, still calling him Daisy. Nothing, he replied. I told you at the inn in London I am heavy company for myself sometimes. I have been a nightmare to myself just now. Must have had one, I think. At odd, dull times, nursery tales come up into the memory, and unrecognized for what they are, I believe I have been confounding myself with the bad boy who didn't care. It became food for lions. Uh, a grander kind of going to the uh, dogs, I suppose. Uh, what, a, what old women call the whores? What? Have, uh, old women have a term called the horrors? What is that all about? Have been creeping over me from head to foot. I have been afraid of myself. Burp. You are afraid of nothing else, I think, said I. Perhaps not. And yet may have enough to be afraid of, too, he answered. Well, so it goes by, exclamation point. I am not about to be hipped again, David, but I tell you, my good fellow, once more, that it would have uh, been well for me, and for more than me, if I had a steadfast and judicious father. Ah, here we go. His face was always full of expression, but I never saw it express such a dark kind of earnestness as when he said these words, with a, with a glance bent on the fire. Ah, so much for that. He said, making as if he tossed something light into the air with his hand. Why, why being gone, I am a, a man again, like Macbeth. And now, if for dinner, exclamation point, if I have not, Macbeth-like, broken up the feast with most admired disorder, Daisy. But where are they all, I wonder, said I. God knows, said Steerforth, after strolling the ferry looking for you, I strolled in here and found the place deserted, and sat me thinking, and you found me thinking. Well, the advent of Mrs. Gummidge, uh, with a basket, explained how the house had happened to be empty. She had hurried out to buy something that was needed against Mr. Peggotty's return with the tide, and had left the door open in the meanwhile, lest Ham and little Emily, with whom it was an early night, should come home while she was gone. Steerforth, after uh, very much improving Mrs. Gummidge's spirits by cheerful salutation, now and jocose embrace, took my arm and hurried me away. He had improved his own spirits, no less than Mrs. Gummidge, for they were again at their usual flow, and was full of vivacious conversation as we went along. And so, he said gaily, we abandon this buccaneer life tomorrow, do we? So we agreed, I returned, and our places by the coach are taken, you know. Hey, there's no help for it, I suppose, Mr. Stifford. I have almost forgotten that there is anything to do in this world but to go out tossing on the sea here. I wish there was a knot. Uh, as long as the novelty should last, said I, laughing. <laughs> like enough, he returned. Though there's a sarcastic meeting in that observation for an amiable piece of innocence like my young friend, well, exclamation point, I dare say I am a capricious fellow, David. I know I am. But while the iron is hot, I can strike it vigorously, too. I could pass a reasonably good examination already as a pilot in these waters, I think. 
Uh, Mr. Peggy says you are a, a wonder, I returned. A nautical phenomenon, eh? Laughed Steerforth. Uh, indeed he does. And you know how truly, I know how ardent you are in any pursuit you follow and how, how easily you can master it. And, and that amazes me most in you, Steerforth, that you should be contented with such uh, fitful uses of your powers. Ah, contented, he answered merrily. I'm never contented except with your freshness, my gentle daisy. As to fitfulness, I have never learnt the art of binding myself to any on the wheels of which the luxons of these days are turning round and round. I missed it somehow in a bad apprenticeship, and now I don't care about it. You know, I have bought a boat down here. What an extraordinary fellow you are, Steerforth, I exclaimed, stopping, for this was the first I had heard of it, when you may uh, never care to come near the place again. I don't know that, he returned. I have taken a fancy to the place. At all events, walking me briskly on, I have brought a, a boat that was for sale, a clipper. Mr. Peggotty says, and so she is, and Mr. Peggotty will be master of her in my absence. Uh, now I understand you, Steerforth, I said exultingly. You pretend to have bought it for yourself, and you really done so to confer a benefit on him. I might have known as much at first, eh, knowing you, my dear kind Steerforth. How can I tell you what I think of your uh, generosity? Oh, tush, he answered, turning red. Uh, the less said, the better. Don't I know, cried I, don't I say that there was not a joy or sorrow or any emotion of such honest hearts that was indifferent to you? Aye, aye, he answered. You told me that. There, let it rest. Uh, we have said enough. Well, afraid of offending him by pursuing the subject when we made so light of it, I only pursued it in my thoughts as we went on at even a quicker pace than before. Ah, she must be newly rigged said Steerforth, and I shall leave Litmer behind to see it done, that I may know she is quite complete. Did I tell you, uh, did I tell you that Litmer had come down? No. Oh, yes. Came down this morning with a letter from my mother. As our uh, looks met, I observed that he was pale even to his lips. Though he looked very steadily at me, I feared that some difference between him and his mother might have led to his being in the frame of mind in which I had found him at the solitary fireside. I hinted so. Uh, oh, no, he said, shaking his head and giving a slight laugh. <laughs> Nothing of the sort. Yes, he is come down, that man of mine. Uh, the same as ever, said I. Ah, uh, the same as ever, said Steerforth, distant and quiet as the North Pole. He shall see to the boat being fresh named. She's the Stormy Petrel now. Uh, uh, does Mr. Peggy care for Stormy Petrels? I'll have her christened again. Uh, by what name? I asked. The little Emily. Ooh, oh, he's getting in there. He's just working that little nail deep into his skin. As he had continued to look steadily at me, I took it as a reminder that he objected to being extolled for his consideration. I could not help showing my face how much it pleased me, but I said little, and he resumed his usual smile and seemed relieved. 
But see here, uh, he said, looking before us, where the original little Emily comes and how that fellow with her, eh, upon my soul, he's a true knight. He never leaves her. Ham was a boat builder in these days, having improved a natural ingenuity in that handicraft until he had become a skilled workman. He was in his working dress and looked rugged enough, but uh, manly withdrawal and very fit protector for this blooming little creature at his side. Indeed, uh, there was a frankness in his face, an honesty and an undisguised show of his pride in her and his love for her, which were, to me, the best of good looks. I thought, as they came toward us, that they were well matched even in that particular. She withdrew her hand timidly from his arm as we stopped to speak to them, and blushed as she gave to Steerforth and to me. When they passed on, after we had exchanged a few words, she did not like to replace that hand, but still appearing timid and constrained, walked by herself. I, I thought, all this... Uh, very pretty and engaging, and Steerforth seemed to think so, too, as we looked after them, fading away in the light of a young moon. Suddenly, uh, there passed us, evidently following them, a young woman whose approach we had not observed, but whose face I saw as she went by, and, and thought I had a, a faint remembrance of. Huh, yeah, well, she was lightly dressed, looked bold and haggard, and flaunting and poor, but seemed for the time to have given all that to the wind which was blowing, and to have nothing in her mind but going after them, as the dark, distant level absorbing their figures into itself left but itself visible between us and the sea and clouds. Her figure disappeared in like manner, still no nearer to them than before. That was dramatic. That is a black shadow to be following the girl, said Steerforth, standing still. What does it, what does it mean? He spoke in a low voice that sounded almost strange to me. She must have it in her mind to beg of them, I think, said I. A beggar would be no novelty, said Steerforth, but it is a strange thing that the beggar should take that shape tonight. Uh, why, I asked, for no better reason, truly, than because I was thinking, he said after a pause, of something like it when it came by where the, the devil did it come from, I wonder. From the shadow of this uh, wall, I think, said I, as we emerged upon a road which the wall abutted. It's gone, he returned, looking over his shoulder, and all ill go with it. Now for our dinner. But he looked again over his shoulder towards the sea line, glimmering far off, and yet again he wondered about it in some broken expressions uh, several times in the short remainder of our walk, but only seemed to forget it when the light of the fire and the candle shone upon us, seated warm and merry at the table. Litmer was there. Ugh. It had his usual effect upon me. And when I said to him that I hope Mrs. Steerforth and uh, Miss Dartle were well, he answered respectfully, and of course, respectfully, God damn it, that they were tolerably well, and he thanked me and had sent their compliments. Yeah, this was all, and yet he seemed to me to say as plainly as a man could say, you are very young, sir, you are exceedingly young. Oh, this guy's a jerk. We had almost finished dinner when taking a step or two toward the table from the corridor where he kept watch upon us, or rather upon me, as I felt, he said to his master, I beg your pardon, sir. Miss Moucher is down here. Eh, uh, who? cried Steerforth, Mr. Stodge. Miss Moucher, sir. 
Uh, why? Uh, what on earth does she do here, said Steerforth? It appears to be her native part of the country, sir. And she informs me that she makes one of her professional visits here every year, sir. I met her in the street this afternoon, and she wished to know if she might have the honor of waiting on you after dinner, sir. Do you know the giantess in question, Daisy? inquired Steerforth. And I was obliged to confess I felt ashamed even of being at this disadvantage before Littmer, that Miss Moucher and I were wholly unacquainted. Then you shall know her, said Steerforth, for she is one of the seven wonders of the world. When Miss Moucher comes, oh, show her in. Well, I felt some curiosity and excitement uh, about this lady, especially as Steerforth burst into a fit of laughing when I referred to her and positively refused to answer any question of which I made her the subject. I remained, therefore, in a state of considerable expectation until the cloth had been removed some half an hour. And we were sitting over the decanter, who is this person, of wine before the fire, when the door opened and Litmer, with his habitual serenity, quite undisturbed, announced, Miss Moucher. I looked at the doorway and saw nothing. And I was still looking at the doorway, thinking that Miss Moucher was a long while making her appearance, when to my infinite astonishment there came waddling round a sofa which stood between me and it a Percy Dwarf, uh, about 40 or uh, 45, with a very large head and face, a pair of roguish gray eyes, and such extremely uh, ooh, wow, little arms that to enable herself to lay a finger archly against her snub nose as she ogled Steerforth and was obliged to meet the finger halfway and lay her nose against it. Her chin, which was uh, called a, 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 a double chin, that was, was so fat that it entirely swallowed up the strings of her bonnet and bow and all. Uh, throat, yeah, she had none. Waist, yeah, she had none. Legs, oh, she had none worth mentioning. For though she was more than full size down to where her waist would have been, uh, if she had had any, uh, and though she ter- uh, terminated, as human beings generally do in a pair of feet, she was so short that she stood in a common-sized chair at the table, resting a bag that she carried on the seat. This lady... Dressed in an offhand, easy style, bringing her nose and her forefinger together with the difficulty I've described. Standing with her head necessarily on one side and with one of her sharp eyes shut up, making an uncommonly knowing face after ogling Steerforth for a few months, broke into a torrent of words. What? My flower, she pleasantly began, shaking her large head at him. Ugh, it's just unrelenting, the description of this woman. You're there, are you? Oh, you naughty boy. Fee for shame. Uh, what do you do so far away from home? Up to mischief, I'll be bound. Oh, you're a dowdy fellow, Steerforth. So you are, and I'm another, ain't I? Ha, ha, ha. You had bet, bet, betted a hundred pounds to five. Now, well, that you wouldn't have seen me here, wouldn't you? Bless you. Man alive, I'm everywhere. I'm here and there and where not, like a... Like a like the conjurer's half-crown, the lady's handkerchief, uh, taking of handkerchiefs and taking of ladies, what a comfort you are to your blessed mother. Ain't you, my dear boy, over one of my shoulders, and, and I don't say which. Ugh, Miss Moucher untied her bonnet. 
At this passage of her discourse, she threw back the strings and sat down, panting, on a footstool in front of the fire, making a kind of arbor with the dining table, which spread its mahogany shelter above her head. Oh, my stars! And what's their name? She went on, clapping a hand on each of her little knees and glancing shrewdly at me. I'm too full of habit. Uh, that's the fact. Steer forth after a flight of stairs. It gives me as much trouble to draw every breath I want as if it were a bucket of water. And if you saw me looking out of an upper window, you'd think I was a fine woman, wouldn't you? Uh, I should think that. "'Wherever I saw you,' replied Steerforth. "'Go along, you dog do!' cried the little creature, making a whisk at him with a handkerchief in which she was wiping her face. "'And don't be impudent, uh, but I give you my word of honor. I was at Lady Mithers last week. There's a woman, how she wears. And, and Mithers himself came into the room where I was waiting for her. There's a man, how he wears. And his wig, too. His wig? And he's had it these ten years, and went on at that rate in the complimentary line. And I began to think I should be obliged to ring the Bell. Ha, ha, ha. He's a pleasant wretch, but he wants principle. What are you doing for Lady Mithers? asked Steerforth. Ah, that's tellings, my blessed infant, she retorted, tapping her nose again, screwing up her face, and twinkling her eye like an imp of supernatural intelligence. Never you mind. You'd like to know whether I stop her hair from falling off or, or, or dye it. Or, or, or touch up complexion, or, or improve her eyebrows, wouldn't you? And so you shall, my darling, when I tell you. Do you know what my great-grandfather's name was? No, said Steerforth. It was Walker, my sweet pet. Ooh, my sweet pet, replied Miss Moucher. And he came along a line of walkers that I will inherit all the hooky estates from. Uh, Never beheld anything so approaching to Miss Moucher's wink except Miss Moucher's self-possession. Ah, she had a wonderful way, too, in listening to what was said to her, or when waiting for an answer to what she had said herself, or, or pausing with her head cunningly to one side. Oh, oh, she's, she's a mastermind. She's manipulating people, according to David. And one eye turned up like a magpie's. Altogether, I was lost in amazement and sat staring at her, quite oblivious, I'm afraid, of the laws of politeness. She had, uh, by this time, drawn the chair to her side and was busily engaged in producing from the bag, plunging in her short arm to the shoulder at every dive, a number of small bottles, sponges, combs, brushes, bits of flannel, little hairs, curling irons, and other uh, instruments, which she tumbled in a, in a heap upon the chair. From this employment, she suddenly detested and said to Steerforth, much to my confusion, hey, who's, your, who's your friend? Uh, Mr. Copperfield, said Steerforth. He wants to know you. Well, then he shall. I thought he looked as if he did, returned Mrs. Moucher, waddling up to me, bag in hand, and, and laughing on me as she came. Face like a peach, standing on tiptoe to pinch my cheek as I sat. Quite tempting. I'm very fond of peaches. Happy to make your acquaintance, Mr. Copperfield, I'm sure. I said that I congratulated myself on her and the honor to make hers and that the happiness was mutual. Oh, my goodness, how polite we are, exclaimed Mrs. Moucher, making a preposterous attempt to cover her large face with her morsel of a hand. Uh, what a world of gammon and spinach it is, though, ain't it? This was addressed confidentially to both of us as the morsel of a hand came away from the face and, and buried itself, arm and all, into the bag again. 
What, uh, what do you mean, Miss Moucher? said Steerforth. <laughs> what a refreshing set of humbugs we are, <laughs> to be sure, aren't we? Uh, my sweet child, replied the morsel of a woman, feeling in the bag with her head on one side and her eye in the air. Look here, taking something out. Scraps of the Russian prince's nails. Prince Alphabet turned topsy-turvy. I call him for his name's got all the letters in it. Higgledy-piggledy. Ugh, that was exhausting. Well, with that, why don't we uh, retire to the uh, master bedroom where I'm going to delight you with a, a, a review of a new and upcoming romance novel from Penguin Random House Books. Unlike the other ones, this is very normal. It involves ghosts, uh, water slides, and foodies. I think you're going to like it. Why don't you get your little butt up on there, huh? Let's have a good time. Ah, there you are. And you look ravishing. But I don't like what you're wearing. I want you to put on these swim trunks. No, no, not a sexy bikini. Just swim trunks. As I read to you a review of the upcoming romance novel from Penguin Random House Books, uh, The Kindred Spirits Supper Club by Amy E. Reichardt. Uh, about the Kindred Spirits Supper Club? Jobless and forced home to Wisconsin. Journalist Sabrina Monroe can tolerate reunions with frenemies and kisses from old boyfriends, but not the literal ghosts that greet her in this heartwarming tale of power and love and connection from acclaimed author Amy E. Reichardt. For Sabrina Monroe, moving back home to the Wisconsin Dells, the self Wisconsin Dells, the giant water park where everyone has mullets and none of the men wear shirts as they drive around in their trucks, the self-described water park capital of the world means returning to the Monroe family curse. The women in her family can see spirits who come to them for help with unfinished business. But Sabrina's always redirected the needy spirits to her mom uh, who's much better suited for the job. The one exception has always been Molly, a bubbly rom-com loving ghost. <laughs> a rom-com loving ghost who's stuck by Sabrina's side all through her lonely childhood. Her personal life starts looking up when Ray, the new local restaurateur, invites Sabrina to his supper club where he flirts with her over his famous brandy old fashions. He's charming and handsome, but Sabrina tells herself she doesn't have time for romance. She needs to focus on finding a job. Except the longer she's in the Dells, the harder it is to resist her feelings for Ray. Ah, the romantic power of a water slide. Except the longer she's in the Dells, it's harder for it. I just read that. Who can turn down a cute guy with a fondness for rescue dogs? Oh, God, an obsession with perfecting his fried cheese curd recipe. When the Dells starts to feel like home for the first time, and with Ray in her corner, Sabrina begins to realize that she can make a difference and help others wherever she is. Uh, want to read some praise? Sure. Uh... I am absolutely smitten with the Kindred Spirits Supper Club. Amy B. Amy E. Reichardt has a, created a heart-squeezing love story with a perfect sprinkling of mystery. I can't read, apparently. This is probably the toughest praise I've ever read in my entire life. And Magic, a deliciously sweet tale about ghosts uh, growing up and going home. 
Reichardt has hit her stride in this one, says Emily Henry, New York Times bestselling author of Beach Read. I'm not going to go through the rest of them. Uh, the Kindred Spirits Supper Club by Amy E. Reichardt. Uh, apparently she's on tour right now because it's got a little icon that says on tour next to her name. Already came out April 20th, six days ago. Uh, you can get it in paperback for 16 bucks from Barnes & Noble, Bookshop.org, Hudson Booksellers, IndieBound, Powell's Target, uh, Walmart, Amazon, and my favorite, Books A Million. Well, with that, uh, why don't you put your clothes back on? Uh, I'm not going to let you water slide around this bedroom. Everything in here is expensive, and I don't want you to water damage it. And we'll go back to reading the rest of this chapter from David Copperfield. The Russian prince is a client of yours, is he? Said Steerforth. I believe you, my pet, replied Miss Moucher. I keep his nails in order for him. Uh, twice a week. Fingers and, and, and toes. Uh, he, he pays well, I hope, said Steerforth. Pays as he speaks, my dear child, through the nose, replied Miss Moucher. None of your close shavers, the prince ain't. You'd say so if you, if you saw his mustachios, red by nature, black by art. <laughs> Burp. Uh, by your art, of course, said Steerforth. Miss Moucher uh, winked, uh, said. Forced to send for me, couldn't help it. The climate affected his dye. It did very well in Russia, but it was no go here. You never saw such a rusty prince in all your born days as he was like old iron. Is that why you called him a, a humbug just now? inquired Steerforth. Oh, you're a, a broth of a boy, ain't you? returned Miss Moucher, shaking her head violently. I said, uh, what a set of humbugs we were in general, and I showed you the scraps of the prince's nails to prove it. The prince's nails do more for me in private familiarities of the genteel sort than all my talents put together. She keeps other people's fingernails with her which is disturbing and gross. I always carry him about. They're the best introduction. If Miss Moucher cuts the prince's nails, she must be all right. Uh, I give them away uh, to the young ladies. Gross. Uh, they put him in albums. Gross, I believe. Ha, ha, ha. Upon my life, the whole social system, as the men call it when they make speeches in Parliament, is a system of prince's nails. Gross said this least of women, trying to... This is always insulting about uh, her physical condition. Trying to fold her short arms, ugh, and nodding her large head, ugh. Steerforth uh, laughed heartily, and I laughed too, Miss Moucher, continuing all the time to, to shake her head, which was very much on one side, and to look into the air with one eye and to wink with the other. Well, well, said she, smiting her small knees ugh, and rising. This is not business. Come, Steerforth, let's explore the polar regions and have it over. She then selected uh, two or three of the little instruments and a little bottle and asked, to my surprise, if the table would bear. On Steerforth's replying in the affirmative, she pushed a chair against it and, begging the assistance of my hand, mounted up pretty nimbly uh, to the top as if it were a stage. 
If uh, either of you saw my ankles, she said when she was safely elevated, say so and I'll go home and destroy myself. (laughs) I did not, said Steerforth. I did not, said I. Well then, cried Miss Moucher, I'll consent to live. (laughs) Now, ducky, 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 come to Miss Bond and be killed. This is weird. This entire thing is weird. This was an invocation to Steerforth to place himself under her hands, who accordingly sat himself down with his back to the table and his laughing face toward me and submitted his head to introspection. Evidently for no other purpose than to our entertainment, to see Miss Moucher standing over him looking at his rich profusion of brown hair through a large round magnifying glass? Why? Uh, she, which she took out of her pocket, was a most amazing spectacle. "'You're a pretty fellow,' said Miss Moucher after a brief inspection. "'You'd be as bald as a friar on the top of your head in twelve months, but for me—' uh, "'Well, that's, that's a way to keep business. "'Just half a minute, my young friend, and we'll give you a polishing "'that shall keep your curls on for the next ten years.' "'With this, ah, she tilted some of the contents of her little bottle onto one of the little bits of flannel, "'and again imparting some of the virtues of that preparation to one of the little brushes, began rubbing—' scraping away with both on the crown of Steerforth's head in the busiest manner I had ever witnessed, uh, talking all the time. There's Charlie Pygrave, the Duke's son, she said. You know, Charlie, peeping around into his face. Uh, uh, a little, said Steerforth. Uh, what a man he is. There's a whisker. As to Charlie's legs, if they're only a pair, which they ain't, they defy competition. What? He's only got one leg? Would you believe he tried to do without me in the lifeguards, too? Ah, mad, said Steerforth. It looks like it, however mad or sane he tried, returned Miss Moucher. What does he do? But lo and behold you, he goes into a perfumer's shop and wants to buy a bottle of the Madagascar liquid. Eh, 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 Charlie does, said Steerforth. Charlie does. But they haven't got any of the Madagascar liquid. Uh, "'What is it? Uh, Something to drink?' asked Steerforth. Uh, "'To drink?' returned Miss Moucher, stopping to slap his cheek. Uh, "'To doctor his own mustachios with, you know. "'There was a woman in the shop, elderly female, quite a griffin, "'who had never even heard of it by name. Uh, "'Begging pardon, sir,' said the griffin uh, to Charlie. "'It's not, not, not rouge, is it?' "'Rouge,' said Charlie to the griffin.' Uh, what the unmentionable to the ears polite do you think I want with rouge? Uh, no offense, sir, said the griffin. We have had it asked for by so many names, I thought it might be. Now that, my child, continued Miss Moucher, rubbing all the time as busily as ever, is another instance of the refreshing humbug I was speaking of. I do something in that way myself, perhaps a, a good deal, perhaps a little. Uh, sharp's the word, my dear boy. Never mind. Uh, in what way do you mean, in the rouge way, said Steerforth. Uh, put this and that together, my tender pupil, returned the weary moucher, touching her nose. Work it by the rule of secrets in all trades, and the product will give you the desired result. I say I do a little of that by way myself. One dowager, she calls it lip salve. Uh, another, she calls it uh, gloves. Another, she calls it tucker edging. Another, she calls it uh, a fan. And I call it whatever they call it. I supply it for him. 
Uh, but we keep up the trick so uh, to one another and to make believe with such a face that they'd as soon uh, think of laying it on before a whole drawing room as before me. And when I wait upon them, they'll say to me sometimes, uh, with it on, uh, thick and no mistake, how am I looking, Moucher? Am I, am I pale? <laughs> Isn't that refreshing, my young friend? I never did in my days behold anything like Moucher as she stood upon the dining table, intensely enjoying this refreshment, rubbing busily at Steerforth's head and winking at me over it. Ah, she said, such things are not in much demand hereabouts. Uh, That sets me off again. I haven't seen a pretty woman since I've been here, Jemmy. Uh, No, said Steerforth. Not the ghost of one, replied Miss Moucher. We could show her the substance of one, I think, said Steerforth, addressing his eyes to mine. Eh, eh, Daisy. Yes, indeed, said I. Uh Ah, cried the little creature, glancing sharply at my face and burp, then peeping round at Steerforth. Umph! The first exclamation sounded like a, a question put to both of us, and the second like a question put to Steerforth only. She seemed to have found no answer to either, but continued to rub with her head on one side of her eye turned up, as if she were looking for an answer in the air and were confident of its appearing presently. "'The sister of yours, Mr. Copperfield,' she cried after a pause, and still keeping the same uh, lookout. "'Aye, aye?' "'No,' said Steerforth before I could reply. "'Nothing of the sort.' On the contrary, Mr. Copperfield used, or I, I am much mistaken, uh, to have a great admiration for her. Why, hasn't he now? returned Miss Moucher. Is he, is he, is he fickle? Oh, for shame. Did he sip every flower and change every hour until Polly, his passion requited? Uh, is her name Polly? Uh, the elfin, ugh, suddenness with which she pounced upon me with this question and a searching look quite disconcerted me for a moment, uh, uh, n- no, Miss Moucher, I replied. Her name is Emily. Nah, she cried exactly as before. Umph, what a rattle I am, Mr. Copperfield, aren't I volatile? Her tone and look implied something that was not agreeable to me in connection with the subject. So I said in a graver manner than any of us had yet assumed, she is as virtuous as she is pretty. She is engaged to be married to a most worthy and deserving man in her own station of life. I, I, este- I esteem her uh, for her good sense as much as I admire her for her good looks. Uh, well said, cried Steerforth. Here, here, here. Now I'll quench curiosity's little Fatima, uh, my dear Daisy, by leaving her nothing to guess at. She is at present apprenticed, Miss Moucher, or articled, or whatever it may be, uh, to Omer and Joram, the uh, haberdashers, milliners, and so forth in this town. Do you observe, Omer and Joram, the promise of which my friend has spoken, is made and entered into uh, with her cousin, Christian name Ham. Surname, uh, Peggotty. Occupation, eh, boat builder. Also of this town. She lives with a relative. Christian name unknown. Surname, Peggotty. Occupation, ah, seafaring. Also of this town. Uh, She is the prettiest and most engaging little fairy in the world. I admire her as my friend does exceedingly. If it were not that I might appear to disparage her unintended, in which I know my friend would not like, I would add that to me... She seems to be throwing herself away. That I am sure she might do better, and that I swear she was born to be a lady. 
That is Bowitcher listened to these words, which were very slowly and distinctly spoken, with her head on one side and her eye in the air as if she were still looking for that answer. When he... When he creased, she became brisk again, and in an instant, and rattled away with surprising volubility. Oh, oh, and that's all there is about it, is it? She exclaimed, trimming his whiskers with a little restless pair of scissors. Eh, that went glancing around his head in all directions. Very well, ah, very well. Quite a long story. Ought to end, and they lived happily ever afterwards. Oughtn't it? Ah, there was a game for uh, forfeits. Uh, I love my love with an E. What? Because she's enticing. I hate her with an E, eh? because she's engaged. I took her to the sign of the exquisite and treated her with an elopement. Her name's Emily, and she lives in the East. <laughs> Mr. Copperfield, aren't I volatile? Merely looking at me with extra vagrant slyness and not waiting for any reply, she continued without drawing a breath. There! If I ever any scape grace I was trimmed and touched up to perfection, you are Steerforth. If I understand any noodle in the world, I understand yours. Oh, noddle. I'm not looking it up. Do you hear me when I tell you that, my darling? I understand yours. Peeping down to his face. Now you may mizzle, jemmy, as we say at court. And if Mr. Copperfield will take the chair, I'll operate on him. Uh, what do you say, Daisy? inquired Steerforth, uh, laughing and resigning his seat. Will you be improved? Thank you, uh, Mr. Moucher. Not this evening. Don't say no, returned the little woman, looking at me with the aspect of a connoisseur. A, a little bit more uh, eyebrow. Uh, thank you, I returned. Some other time. She wants to work on his eyebrows? Have it carried half a quarter of an inch toward the temple, uh, said Mrs. Moucher. You can do it in a fortnight. What? No, I thank you, not at present. Go in for a tip, she urged. No, let's get the scaffolding up then for a, a pair of whiskers. Come. I could not help blushing as I declined, for I felt we were on a weak point now. Mrs. Moucher, finding that I was not at present... Do you hear that? There's an airplane going over. I can't be in my basement. It's uh, mouse-ridden. So I'm up here in my bedroom with a bunch of pillows everywhere, and you can hear airplanes flying. It's ruining the show. <laughs> But Mrs. Moucher, finding that I was not at present disposed for any decoration within the range of her art, and that I was, for the time being, proof against the blandishments of the small bottle which she held up before one eye to enforce her persuasions, uh, said we would make a beginning of an early day and requested the aid of my hand to descend from her elevated station. Thus assisted, now she skipped down with much agility and began to tie her double chin uh, into her bonnet. The fee, said Steerforth, is... Uh, five bob, replied Mrs. Moucher, and dirt cheap, my chicken. Aren't I volatile, Mr. Carpelfield? I replied politely. Uh, not at all. But I thought she was rather so when she tossed up uh, his two half crowns like a, like a goblin pie man, caught him, dropped them in her pocket, and gave it a, a loud slap. That's the till, uh, observed Miss Moucher, standing at the chair again and replacing in a bag of miscellaneous collection of little objects that she had emptied out of it. Have I got all my traps? It seems so. I, it won't do to be like long Ned Breadwood uh, when they took him to church to marry him to somebody, as uh, he says, and left the bride behind. Ah, ha, ha, a wicked rascal, Ned, but droll. Now, I know I'm going to break your hearts, 
but I am forced to leave you. You must call up your fortitude and try to bear it. Goodbye, Mr. Copperfield. Take care of yourself, jockey of Norfolk. How I have been rattling on. It's all the fault of you two wretches. I forgive you. Uh, Bob swore, as the Englishman said for good night, uh, when he first learned French and thought it was so like English. Bob swore, my ducks. With the bag slung over her arm and rattling as she waddled away, ugh, and she waddled ugh, to the door where she stopped to inquire if she should leave us a, a lock of her hair. Uh, ain't I volatile, she added as a commentary on this offer, and with her finger on her nose, departed. Oh, like Santa. He taps his nose and disappears. Steerforth uh, laughed to the... Another airplane. I apologize for the quality of this show. I finally get back into reading this book again, and it's just a, a turd fest. Burp. Steerforth laughed uh, to that degree that it was impossible for me to help laughing too, though I am... Not sure I should have done so, but for this inducement, when we had had our laugh quite out, which was after some time, like for how long, like ten minutes, he told me that Mrs. Moucher had uh, quite an extensive connection and made herself useful to a variety of people in a variety of ways. Some people trifled with her as a mere oddity, he said, but she was as shrewdly and sharply observant as anyone he knew and as long-headed as she was short-armed. He told me that... Uh, what she had said of being here and there and everywhere was true enough, for she made little darts into the provinces and seemed to pick up customers everywhere, and to know everybody. I asked him what her disposition was, whether it was at all mischievous, as if her sympathies were generally on the right side of things, but not succeeding in, in, in interacting his attention to these questions after two or three attempts, I forbore to forget to repeat them. He told me instead, uh, with much rapidity, a good deal about her uh, skill uh, and her profits, and about her being a scientific cupper, if I should ever have occasion for her service in that capacity. Oh, I'm tempted to look up what a cupper is, but I'm not going to do it. This chapter is long as it is already. She was the uh, principal theme of our conversation during the... Is it where they put hot cups on your skin? Because it, it claims to... Uh, stimulate your humors. I'm just going to move on. I'm not looking it up. She was the principal theme of our conversation during the evening, and when we parted for the night, Steerforth uh, called after me over the banisters. Uh, Bob swore as I went downstairs. Now, I was surprised, and when I came to Mr. Barks's house, to find Ham walking up and down in front of it. Still more surprised to learn from him that little Emily was inside. I naturally inquired why he was not there, too, instead of, uh, Pacing the streets by himself? Why, you see, Master Davy, he rejoined in a hesitating manner, Emily is uh, talking to someone in there. I should have thought, said I, smiling, that it was a reason for you being in here too, Ham. Well, Master Davy, in a general way, so so it twould be. Ugh. I hate it when he tries to write in the slang of the people of the times. So it's, it's impossible for me to read. Uh, he returned, but looky here, Master Davy, lowering his voice, speaking very gravely. It's a young woman, sir. A young woman that Emily knowed once. It doesn't ought to know no more. Well, when I heard these words, a light began to fall upon the figure I had seen following them uh, some hours ago. It's a poor worm, 
Master Davy, said Ham, as is trod underfoot by all the town, up street and down street, and mold o oh, the churchyard, wouldn't hold any of that the folks shrink away from more. Did I, did I see it tonight, Ham? On the sand after we met you? Keeping us in sight, said Ham. It's like you did, Master Davy. Not that I'd known then. Uh, she was there, sir. But along her creeping soon afterwards under Emily's little winder. And then uh, she see the light come and whispering, Emily, Emily, for Christ's sake, have a woman's heart toward me. I was once like you. Those were solemn words, Master Davy, fur to hear. They were indeed, Ham. Uh, what did, how did Emily do? Says Emily, uh, Martha, is that you? Oh, Martha, can it be you? For they had sat at work together uh, many a day at Omer's. Oh, I recollect her now, cried I, recalling one of the two girls I had seen when I first went there. I recollect her uh, quite well. Martha Endell, said Ham, two or three years older than Emily, but was at the school with her. I never heard her name, said I. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Uh, for that matter, uh, oh, that, Master Davy, uh, replied Ham, all's told, almost in them words. Emily, for Christ's sake, have a woman's heart toward me. I was once like you. She wanted to speak to Emily. Emily couldn't uh, speak to her there, for her loving uncle was to come home, and uh, he wouldn't. No, Master Davy, said Ham, with great earnestness. He couldn't. Kind-natured, tender-hearted as he is, see them two together side by side for all the treasures that's wrecked in the sea. Yeah, I felt now uh, how true this was. I knew it on the instant quite as well as Ham. So uh, Emily writes in pencil on a bit of paper, he pursued, and gives it to her out of winder to bring her here. Show that, she says, to my aunt, Miss Barkis, and she'll set you down uh, by her fire for the love of me till uncle has gone out, and I can come by and by. She tells me what I tell you, Master Davy, and asks me to bring her. Uh, what can I do? She doesn't ought to know any such, but I can't deny her when the tears is on her face. He put his hand into his breast of his shaggy jacket and took out with great care a pretty little purse. And if I could deny her when the tears are on her face, Master Davy said Ham, tenderly adjusting it on his rough palm of his hand, uh, how could I deny her when she give me this to carry for her, knowing what she bought it for? Such a toy as it is, said Ham, thoughtfully looking on it, with such a little money in it, Emily, my dear. And I shook him warmly by the hand when he had put it away again, for that was more satisfactory to me than saying anything. And we walked up and down for a minute or two in silence. The door opened then, and Peggotty appeared, beckoning to Ham to come in. I would have kept away, but she came after me, entreating me to come in, too. Even then, I would have avoided the room uh, where they all were, but it was for being the, the neat-tiled kitchen I have mentioned more than once, the door opening immediately to it. I found myself among them before I considered whether I was going. The girl, the same as I had seen upon the sands, was near the fire. Oh, she was sitting on the ground with her head and one arm laying on a chair. I fancied from the disposition of her figure that Emily had uh, but newly risen from the chair and that the forlorn head might perhaps have been lying on her lap. 
I saw but little of the girl's face over which her hair fell loose and scattered as if she had been disordering with her, with her own hands, but I saw that she was young and uh, of a fair complexion. Peggotty had been crying. So had little Emily. Not a word was spoken when we first went in, and, and the Dutch clock by the dresser seemed, in the silence, to tick twice as loud as usual. Emily spoke first. Uh, Martha wants, she said to Ham, to go to London. Uh, why, why to London? returned Ham. He stood between them, looking on the prostrate girl with a mixture of compassion for her and of jealousy of her holding any companionship with her whom he loved so well, which I have always remembered distinctly. They both spoke as if she were ill in a soft, suppressed tone that was plainly heard, although it hardly rose above a whisper. Better there than here, said a third voice aloud, Martha's, though she did not move. Uh, no one knows me uh, there. Everyone knows me here. Uh, what would she do there? inquired Ham. She lifted her up her head and looked darkly around at him for a moment, then laid it down again and curved her right arm about her neck as a woman in a fever or in an agony of pain from a shot might twist herself. Oh, she will try to do well, said little Emily. You don't know what she has said to us. Does does he? Uh, do they, aunt? Peggy shook her head compassionately. I'll try, said Martha. If you'll help me anyway, I can never do worse than I have done here. I may do better. Oh, with a dreadful shiver. Take me out of these streets where the whole town knows me from a child. As Emily held out her hand to Ham, I saw him put it in a little a canvas bag. She took it as if she thought it were her purse, and I made a step or two forward, but finding her mistake, came back to where she had retired near me and showed it to him. It's all yours, Emily, I could hear him say. I haven't nout in all the world that ain't yourn, my dear. It ain't of no delight to me except for you. The tears rose freshly in her eyes, but she turned away and went to Martha. What she gave her, I don't know. I saw her stooping over her and putting money in her bosom. She whispered something, and she asked, Was that enough? More than enough, the other said, and took her hand and kissed it. Then Martha arose, and gathering her shawl about her, covering her face with it, and weeping aloud, went slowly to the door. She stopped a moment before going out as if she would have uttered something or turned back, but no word passed her lips. Making the same low dreary, wretched moaning in her shawl, she went away. As the door closed, little Emily looked at the three of us in a hurried manner and then hid her face in her hands and fell to sobbing. Uh, don't, Emily, said Ham, tapping her gently on the shoulder. Uh, don't, my dear, you don't ought to cry. Oh, it's so pretty. Oh, Ham, she exclaimed, still weeping pitifully. I am not uh, so good a girl as I ought to be. I know I am not the thankful heart sometimes I ought to have. Yes, yes, you have, I'm sure, said Ham. No, 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 cried little Emily, sobbing and shaking her head. I am not as good a girl as I ought to be. Not near, not near. And still she cried as if her heart would break. I try to uh, love you so, oh, I try your love too much. I know I do, she sobbed. I'm often cross with you and changeable with you. When I ought to be far different, you are never so to me. Why am I ever so to you when I should think of nothing but how to be grateful and make you happy? 
"'You always make me so,' said Ham, my dear. "'I'm happy in the, in the sight of you. "'I'm happy all day long in the thoughts of you.' "'Ah, that's not enough,' she cried. "'That is because you are good, not because I am. "'Oh, my dear, it might have been better fortune for you "'if you had been fond of someone else "'or someone steadier and uh, much worthier than me, "'who was all bound up in you "'and never vain and changeable like me. "'Poor little tender heart,' said Ham in a low voice. "'Martha has overset her altogether. "'Please, Aunt Saad, Emily.' Uh, come here and let me lay my head upon you. Oh, I am very miserable tonight, Aunt. Oh, I am not as good a girl as I ought to be. I am not, I know. Peggotty had hastened to the chair before the fire. Emily, with her arms around her neck, kneeled by her, looked up most earnestly into her face. Oh, pray, Aunt, try to help me. Ham, dear, try to help me. Mr. David, for the sake of old times, do please try to help me. I want to be a better girl than I am. I want to feel a hundred times more thankful than I do. I want to feel more. What a blessed thing it would be to the wife of a good man and to lead a peaceful life. Oh, me, oh, me. Oh, oh, my heart, my heart. She dropped her face in her old nurse's breast, increasing the supplication, which in its agony and grief was half a woman's, half a child's, and all of her manner uh, was, being then that, more natural and better suited to her beauty, as I thought, than any other manner could have been. Those were, that was in parentheses, and was awkward to read. Wept silently, while my old nurse hushed her like an infant. She got uh, calmer by degrees, and then we soothed her, now talking encouragingly and now jesting a little with her, until she began to raise her head and speak to us. So we got on until she was able to smile, uh, and, then, uh, and then to laugh, and then to sit up, half-ashamed, while Peggotty recalled her stray ringlets drying in her eyes and made her neat again, lest her uncle should wonder, when he got home, why his darling had been crying. I saw her do that, that night, what I had never seen her do before. I saw her innocently kiss her chosen husband on the cheek and creep close to his bluff form as if it were her best support when they went away together in the waning moonlight and I looked after them comparing their departure in my mind with Martha's I saw that she held her arm with both her hands and still uh, kept close to him Well, let's recap what we've read here as you sip on your cognac here in the smoking room. Uh, David stays at Peggy's house while Steerforth stays at an inn. Uh, the two don't really hang out all that much. Steerforth keeps going out on his own with the fishermen, which is weird, while David goes to his old house, the rookery. One evening, he returns to find Steerforth all upset. It uh, doesn't really explain why. Uh, they talk about leaving the next day, and Steerforth says that he's bought a boat. And then Litmer's coming to town. When they arrive at the inn for dinner, Litmer brings a, a hairdresser named Miss Moucher, uh, who's a middle-aged dwarf who caters to the rich and famous. She gives Steerforth a hair treatment and uh, shares some gossip about other customers. And when David gets back to Peggotty's home, he finds Ham and Emily, and Emily is having a secret meeting with Martha 
a former resident of the village who's fallen into disgrace because of some uh, unexplained sexual transgression. Uh, Emily gives Martha some money to go to London and escape the shame of her hometown. Uh, What's good about what we read? David, whether he knows it or not, is inching, baby-stepping, crawling, getting closer to finding out that Steerforth is a turd. What sucks? That Steerforth still is being called out for being a turd, and uh, I don't like how Charles Dickens is writing about Miss Moucher. Uh, Her condition, he writes about it in an incredibly unflattering way. Well, what did we learn? Uh, Steerforth is starting to show his creepiness by being moody all the time, uh, because he's up to something. Uh, David still doesn't realize how much of a jerk he is. Miss Moucher's character is introduced uh, in a weird way and written about in a pretty crappy way. Uh, David isn't sure if he should trust her, since she's always gossiping about her clients. Uh, And the scene with Emily and Martha is similar to the scene with Agnes and Mrs. Strong, in which the men in the room are uneasy about the assumed innocent girl speaking with someone who has a bad reputation. Well, with that, uh, I guess we'll be back again this week with Chapter 23, which hopefully isn't so darn long. Uh, And I'm kind of debating just plowing through, just dropping a bunch of episodes all on top of each other just to get this book over with. I want to read something else. Uh, It's a good book. It just goes on forever. Well, with that, I will uh, see you next week. Ah, uh, well, it appears you found me in the part of the podcast I hate the most where I tell you all about the places on the internet where you can find me. You can tell I hate this because of the sound effects making it sound like a stormy night uh, in the drawing room of the damned. Now, there's there's that. Uh, I, I, are you cool? I like cool people. It's the reason why I got involved in this business to begin with, just to meet cool people. Not losers. So if you're cool, uh, feel free to go over to my website, uh, nuzzlehouse.com. You can see a backlog of everything I've ever read, uh, along with episodes from the Book Boys and uh, blah, blah, blah. You can also find me on Instagram, uh, which is uh, House Nuzzle. And conveniently enough, uh, Twitter, which is also at House Nuzzle. Annoyingly, YouTube made me pick a name instead of just a house nuzzle. So you got Glenn Nuzzles. So I guess you search for that if you want to watch a screen that doesn't do anything and just hear my voice. Uh, and since, uh, since I think you might be cool, you can always just email me directly. Glenn.nuzzles at gmail.com But don't, uh, don't email if you're a, a nerdlinger or a dork. Now, back to business. I can't believe I drank all of them already. There's got to be one left.